Here's Richard. Good morning, Manchester, and to those of you in surrounding towns, welcome to Hour 3 of Gerard at Large. I am your ever-humble host, Rich Gerard. Thanks for tuning in. As you know, you can find us online at GerardAtLarge.com, and you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Also at Gerard at Large, where we encourage you to like us and to follow us, because we just want to be loved. All right. We are pleased to be joined for the next hour by Robert Ozzy. He is a Muslim who was born and raised here in the city of Manchester. And he does, I'll call it a road show, uh, but a tour that he calls Ask a Muslim Anything. He was brought to our attention by our good friend Ava Castillo-Turgeon during our last ins and outs of immigration segment. Not our last, but it was two weeks ago. I forget, two or three weeks ago. And, um, well, I'm pleased to say that he didn't wait for me to contact him. He got to me. And uh, the rest is history. And this, of course, comes in light of the discussion that has been had here uh, in the Queen City over the mosque uh, operated by the Islamic Society of New Hampshire and whether or not it uh, may pose some sort of threat here to the Queen City. Uh, They were invited to be guests. Now, he is not here in place of or in relation to the mosque. But I'm, I'm trying to share a little bit of background about how this uh, opportunity came about, because representatives of the mosque, including the president of the uh, Islamic Society, Mohammed Iwais, were to come on the show um, to discuss what David Gobatz had said in his report over the mosque and whether or not it presented a terror threat to the region. Uh, they canceled their appointment, saying that they were going to reschedule. That was several weeks ago. And really... Uh, There has been only incidental follow-up since then, and we still hope to have the mosque on uh, to discuss the matter. But um, that said, we're pleased to be with Mr. Ozzie. Am I saying your name correctly, sir? Yes. Uh, Mr. Ozzie, uh, with the idea of asking a Muslim anything, because I uh, will admit, I think I'm like many of you out there, we know what we hear from others about Islam and uh, never having read the Quran myself. Uh, or otherwise studied it, who knows what the truth on anything is, and we're hopeful that Mr. Ozzie is going to help us better understand um, what Islam is. And so with that, Mr. Ozzie, welcome to the Dread Large Radio Show. Oh, thank you. Um, and we're going to do something unique here, something that we haven't done. I don't foresee myself going for breaks to traffic, weather, and sports here during this hour, so we're going to keep the whole hour open so that we can get as many questions or as much discussion in as possible, that may change if we have a uh, you know a traffic incident that we need to update you on or something else. Uh, but so we're going to have the whole hour or what's left of it, which right now is forty nine minutes. <laughs> so, let's, Mr. Ozzie, let's welcome. go for it. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Uh, did, I would appreciate it if you would give our audience uh, an introduction of yourself, who you are, uh, what you've done I mean, personally, what you've done professionally, and how you came about doing Ask a Muslim um, anything and and. Uh, then we'll get into the questions is, why should we listen to you? <laughs> well, I, I think you should listen to many points of view. Um, I don't think that I have the only or the final answer on anything. Um, I grew up in Manchester. and um, now, Were you born and raised here? I, I was born and raised here. My parents were from Lebanon. I was part of the Lebanese immigrant community in Manchester. Now, a lot of uh, just as an aside, a lot of the Lebanese here are actually um, uh, Christians. So Christian, you're something Mar- Maronites an, and a few Melkites. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you're sort of an anomaly in that um, Lebanese population here. Well, I'm an anomaly in that I'm a convert. Um, oh, you're oh, really? Yeah. Okay. I actually grew up in Manchester, having gone first to the uh, first congregational church uh, on Hanover Street, where. I, I graduated from Sunday school. I still have my King James Version of the Bible, <laughs> signed by Reverend Mark Strickland at uh, the time. Uh-huh. And then as, as a counterforce, I was taken to Blessed Sacrament Church, where I made my first communion, down on South Elm Street. So, so did you become Catholic, or? Uh, well, my one of my parents was a Protestant, and one of my parents was a Catholic. Okay. So we were covering all bases at the time. Gotcha. Um Later, uh, as a young adult, I was living in Beirut as a as a photojournalist, and I was working for as a freelancer for companies like National Geographic and Time and Newsweek, and mm-hmm. who you know I was a, basically a camera for hire. And um, oh, no, you're talking fine. You're going to need to put your headphones on because the phone is ringing, and oh. uh, you won't hear what people are oh, asking. Right. Um, 
So you became a photojournalist. You worked for National Geographic Time. Newsweek. You Newsweek. Know, a camera for hire. Okay. You know, I, was a, I was a freelancer. And during that time, I was exposed to a whole variety of worlds that didn't exist in Manchester. Mm-hmm. You know, there are you know, 27 different religions, you know, of, of all persuasions. And I was – I made friends with some um, Saudis in particular um, at the time because I was doing a lot of work in Saudi Arabia at the time. Um, who through their – mostly through their lifestyle initially uh, introduced me to um, what it was that they felt about the creator and God and and the hereafter. And I found it um, really interesting. And it took a while. It took two, three years before I even started thinking about reading the Koran. And, but when I, when I entered into it, I found it uh, – I found it really beautiful and compelling, and it, and it was a vision of the world and a vision of humility and uh, God's vision of love and forgiveness and mercy and justice that resonated with me in, in a way. Maybe I was too young for the other traditions at the time I saw them, mm-hmm. but it, it, was, it was a way that um, – so I became a Muslim, and I haven't looked back since. Uh, we have Susan in Milford who has a couple of questions for you. Uh, Robert, before I get to the questions that I have, we'll – Always defer to our callers. Susan, good morning. Thank you for calling. Oh, good morning. How are you? Very well, thank you. That's good. I have two questions before I have to get into work. I'm sure other people are going to want to call in. I don't want to take up a lot of time. Uh, but could you defer, define the word takia for me? Takia. Okay. Yeah, I, I heard that one coming, Susan. I've heard, I've heard you before. <laughs> thank you. Uh, takia. Actually, I didn't know what takia meant until a whole world of sort of Islamophobia introduced me to it. And someone sort of drew on this word um, as a way of saying that all Muslims dissemble and lie about Islam in order to convert the whole world over to Islam. In fact, it's, it's a very narrowly used word, mostly in the Shia tradition, which is used as in some other minority communities to say that you are allowed to dissemble about your faith if, you're, if the existence or the viability of your community um, is in jeopardy. For example, if somebody bursts into the house and says, we're going to kill you unless you say you're Sunni or Shia or whatever, then you're allowed to say whatever it is that saves you. But the very idea that takia, you know, I, I mean, I'm sure you could sit there and think that I'm doing takia about takia at this moment. But the, but the very but the very idea that, you know, 1.6 billion Muslims are running around the world practicing takia um, is, is absurd. And it's contradicted both by the scripture which contradicts the word contradict uh, taki in, in many places, and and by the behavior of most Muslims over time. Mm-hmm. Susan, you said you well, had two I, questions. And the second question? Yeah. Yeah, my second question is, uh, defined from the Arabic, what does the word Islam mean? Islam means a submission to the will of God, to the mercy of God, to the justice of God. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Well, I, uh, I just... The, the problem I have with Takia is 21 Christian men were murdered by Muslim terrorists. We saw the pictures on the beach when they were getting their heads cut off with uh, the orange jumpsuits on, and they refused to deny Christ. They refused to lie about their faith in order to save their own lives. So I'm having trouble. I struggle with uh, I don't know uh, that, Muslims lying about that. Well, I, don't, I don't know that that has anything to do with Takia. They were murdered by, by criminals and barbarians, and it has nothing mm-hmm. to do either with religion, Christianity, or Islam. But thank well, you, my, thank you for your call, is, Susan. I just, but my point is, they didn't lie about their faith in order to save their own lives. Well, I, and I'm so sure, in other words, they became martyrs for Christ yeah. instead of denying their and, religion and, to and, save and, their and, life. And, yeah. I, and, okay. I know, and I know many Muslims that wouldn't, uh, wouldn't deny their faith in order to save theirs. Susan, mm-hmm. thank, thank right. you for the call. All right, thank you. We appreciate the, we appreciate the call. Um, I, I do have some questions, um, and this is only kind of uh, a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but what's up with the 72 virgins? Um, <laughs> what's up with the 72 virgins? It's a, it's a myth. It doesn't appear anywhere in the Quran. It's a, it's a myth. So where does this, 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 uh, this version of Islam come that, uh, you know, the martyrs to jihad, um, you know, go to heaven and their reward is 72 virgins for dying, uh, dying in the jihad? It, it, it comes from people that are willing to manipulate a, a truth or a religion or a theology or a political point of view in order to 
seduce people into, not into a tradition, but into a cult. I mean, mm -hmm. remember those guys, that 920 people that drank the Kool-Aid in Guyana for, for Reverend James Jones because he had given, you know, he had used his version of Christianity, which none of us would identify as Christianity, um, as, as a way of seducing people into this cult. Right. So if people have nothing else in, their, in this life, and they, and, they feel, and they feel despair and marginalization and disenfranchisement, the idea of something seductive and beautiful and 72 virgins, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, it, it could prove to be very seductive, but there's no religious tradition that supports that. Okay. Now, um, you brought up Jim Jones's version of Christianity. Mm -hmm. One thing that I, 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 that I have trouble with. That's why I'm here. Right. <laughs> and why, I, you know, if... Jim Jones does what he does in, does in the name of Christ, or someone kills an abortion doctor, mm -hmm. or abortions, and they do it in the name of Christ. There is, it doesn't matter the sect, uh, <laughs> unless they are similarly non-Christian. But from you know the, the the local parish priest to the Pope and the mainline Protestant denominations, there is universal condemnation uh, in an institutional and personal way of acts of violence in the name of Christ because Christ does not stand for acts of violence. Mm -hmm. Conversely, when these acts of terror are taking place in the name of Islam across the world, mm -hmm. horrific acts of violence. Terrible. We don't see that that condemnation either from the imam in the local mosque to whatever, if there is any sort of uh, uh, organizational structure to Islam that says, it could be the Saudi princes. I don't know. But there is no universal condemnation of killing in the name of Allah the way there is when Christians uh, condemn killing in the name of Christ. And I find that troubling because to me, and maybe it's just my life in politics, you know, a charge unanswered is a charge, uh, is a charge agreed to. Well, uh, well, well, is I'm killing not, in the not, name I'm, of Allah allowed? I'm, well, first of all, it's killing in the name of God if we're speaking English because Allah is merely – the Arabic word for mm -hmm. God. So, um, uh, but but I, I disagree with you on two grounds. Number one, for example, when Robert Deere shot up the uh, abortion clinic in Colorado Springs um, because of his Christian, so-called Christian faith, there were people, after I wrote about that, there were people who wrote to me saying that he was actually martyring himself because he was saving the unborn. There is no, so, but let me set that aside. Well, well, the, uh, I'm going to yeah. answer that because, okay. you know, just because you get a handful of emails from people who may have approved doesn't it, mean that it, everyone from the parish priest to the pope ex didn't exactly, universally condemn it. Exact, exactly my point. Exactly. There are universal condemnations, and I, can, I didn't bring it with you, but I can send you the website afterwards, and you can post it on your website if you want to. For, there are universal condemnations, and there have been from the day of 9-11, I mean, I'm, I haven't done much research before that, until yesterday, probably. Universal condemnations worldwide, at the state, at the national, at the international level, they're done by individuals, they're done by groups, they're done by mosques, they're done by national and international organizations. And one of the things, one of the reasons you're not seeing it it's because you're not looking in the right places. If you're looking at well, – wait, let me – don't interrupt me. If you're looking for places that confirm your bias, you're not going to see them. If you want to go beyond that, for example, how many people in this country know that on the night of 9-11, the people of Tehran swept into the streets holding candles saying we are all Americans – how many people know in this country that after Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi declared ISIS a state, that 140 scholars from around the world on a point-by-point -point basis refuted all of his allegations, and this was published worldwide except in this country where it got very little notice, and it didn't get much notice in this country because it didn't fit into the binary notion of us versus them. It didn't support the narrative that they're out there and they're evil and we're here and we're good. But those condemnations are there and I emphatically resent the suggestion that somehow people are being silent and that's some sort of implicit or even explicit agreement to, to the violence that accompanies these people like ISIS and Al-Qaeda and Boko Haram and all of these people. Well, I, let, let me 
address a couple of points on that. You I mean the the U.S. media is not exactly uh, hostile to what I would consider to be Islam or Muslims. In fact, after every terrorist account, there they seem to go out of their way to express the worry that this is somehow going to paint all Muslims with a broad brush, and there will be backlash against Muslim communities. We hear how uh, 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 people in this country who are Muslim are in fear for their lives, worried about. Uh, uh, those who would do them harm in wake of these events. So the media here, I would think, would pick up on all of these universal condemnations as a as a way of demonstrating that uh, others who um, uh, practice Islam um, don't agree with this radicalization. And second of all, locally, you know, I, I'm not exactly an in the closet sort of media outlet. I'm pretty easy to get a hold of, and mm-hmm. I, I've never once heard from. The Islamic Society of New Hampshire never received a press release, never seen a Facebook post, nothing when it comes to any of these acts of terror locally saying, you know what, this is not who we are. We don't stand from this. The only time I've heard from that mosque was in the wake of the um, the report uh, from uh, David Gobatz indicating that uh, it was a potential terror threat. And they didn't exactly respond to our requests for comment. Uh, and when they did. Ultimately, they set up an interview that they canceled because they were um, worried about finding the right people to be here. So I don't doubt and I'll be glad to publish whatever information you send me. But mm-hmm. it just seems to me I would have to believe that there was a media conspiring to keep the the, the Muslim message out of the mainstream when I think, in fact, um, it's just the opposite. So no. to kind of say that I'm I'm just going to websites that give me confirmational bias, I think, is an unfair shot. Well, uh- I'll take one specific case, and I, 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 don't, I don't know you yet, um, but after you did the GoBots report mm-hmm. and you said that you found um, support for it by one website that you went to, and I recognize the website that you went to. It's published by a guy named Stephen Emerson, um, and you went to a website that was specifically confirming the bias that GoBots was – supporting and you could have easily if you had wanted to or if it had been available to you i'm not i'm I'm not accusing you of deliberately trying to support it but the information came however it came to you it came as supportive of a position that was already established now gobatz's report was absurd first of all nobody does a report that's four paragraphs long and say this is a definitive thing and i'm going to paint everybody in manchester new hampshire as some sort of jihadist terrorists in in training Secondly, for somebody to come on your radio and say, I can tell that they're jihadists because they don't line up, because they insist on lining up precisely in, in rows, and some of them aren't wearing wedding rings on their left hand, is absurd. It, it's absurd. And anyone doing any serious work and trying to establish any kind of do- dialogue would know that. But let me go back to an earlier point. I'll let you do that, uh, okay. but I'm going to come back. Because okay, sure. No, I, I, I know, think I, I need to restate I, what I, I did on that mosque story. I, 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 expect, I expect you to come back, and, and, and I welcome it. One of the reasons why I am so vigilant about watching this stuff is we have had four mosque burnings in this country since the beginning of the year. We've had a lot of targeting of Muslims, and some, and, and that's by criminals. I'm not saying that's supported by any institutional bias anywhere. But I also know that the FBI tells us that over 40% of the terrorist incidents that have been planned in this country have been aborted because of Muslims dropping a dime on Muslims. If we make the Muslim community in this country so fearful that they're unwilling to communicate with authorities about risks either in their or your communities, we are establishing a security risk that is unnecessary. The, the, the vast majority of Muslim community here is as committed to all the constitutional principles of this country as any other American. And, and to isolate them or deny them any kind of legitimacy is to be acting in the hands or on behalf of the terrorists. You can't say, you know, we're going to, you know, I mean, 
The, the president tweets about all this terrorism, but yet four American mosques have been burned, and a woman has been hijabbed, another one is beaten to death by a baseball bat, and we have and we haven't heard anything from the president saying this is un-American, no matter what your faith, religion, or tradition is. All right, we're with uh, Robert Ozzie. Is it Doctor Robert Ozzie? No. Okay, Robert Ozzie. He is. Uh, what do you call this? Ask a Muslim anything. Is it a, is it a seminar? Is it an opportunity? It's an opportunity. It's, right. it's an event. It's a town. Hall. It's a Muslim town hall. You can call it whatever. You know. He does. He does. Ask a Muslim anything, and we are uh, blowing all of our normal format today to give him the entire eight o'clock hour. Before we get to Rosemary in the Lakes region, who has a question, and if you have a question for Doctor, uh, not Doctor, for Robert Ozzy, six zero six six seven six two is the number. That's six zero six six seven six two. If uh, it goes to voicemail, you'll have to call back. Because it's our call waiting kicking in, and no, we don't check it during the show. But I want to get back to this Dave Gobatz thing because, again, um, you know, I I, I think you're mischaracterizing what I did. I saw multiple websites that uh, uh, both uh, praised Gobatz and condemned him. Mm -hmm. Um, But he, he didn't give us both of those. No, but I said on the air that I saw enough websites on either side that you can draw your own conclusion. And I also, and I also said though that I did find. Uh, I read from, uh, I think it was a news article about the uh, terrorist in Virginia who was convicted, I think, in 2005, uh, whose materials were alleged to be in the mosque. I sent that report to the Manchester police chief mm-hmm. to get a response, which I aired. I invited the mosque to come on and address the, you know, the allegations, which first they didn't respond to, and then they uh, agreed to come on, and then they canceled. So the idea that I somehow promulgated you know, uh, a, a litany of, of things that uh, were biased, I think, honestly, is disproven by the facts. The fact that I published what the police chief had to say, the fact that I gave the mosque the opportunity to respond, and they chose not to. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not like if, if, hey, listen, if I didn't report what the police chief said, if I didn't even ask, if I accepted it as true, mm-hmm. frankly, I don't know what to make of any of the allegations. The only one that I haven't really talked to in any detail are the mosque and I know people who attend that mosque who tell me, oh, by the way, yeah, some of that material is in our mosque, but it's not what it is being said it's to be. So as far as I'm concerned, my jury's still out waiting more information. So I, I but I think for you to kind of to kind of make it look like I I cast aspersions when I went out of my way. I sat on this thing for more than two weeks while I tried to get mm-hmm. people to respond to it. Uh, you should okay? have called me. Didn't know you. But anyway, I have Rosemary in the Lakes region on the line with questions. Good morning, Rosemary. Oh, good morning. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Good Appreciate morning, the Rosemary. Call. Um, I, I, have, I read a lot in the Quran and um, the books of Islam, and um, I recently read that Islam is 86% political, 14% religion. They have a political ideology wrapped with religion. So um, I continue to hear that Muslims are peaceful and never wanting to harm anyone. So if if he can explain to me why Islam is a cult um, uh, where they chastise women and make them less than men and why they use sexual mutilation and they have sex with infants and they do a lot of unhealthy things to children and women. So I don't understand how this man can get on the radio and say that uh, religion, uh, their religion is compatible to Christianity and to the American Constitution when it really is not. All right, Rosemary, we appreciate the call. We're going to give Doc. Uh, we're going to. Why do I want to keep calling you Doctor Ozzy? We're, we're going to give uh, Robert Ozzy a chance to uh, to respond to your questions. Um, let me. Uh, I'll give you an opportunity first to address exactly what she has asked you. Oh, it, it's it's absurd. I mean, the, I'm I'm constantly amazed at the willingness of some people to flaunt their ignorance in public. Um, the, the fact that she, she's repeating what somebody else has written in in I know the source of that, that Islam is 86% political, she said, and 14% religious. This is a woman who has never read the Quran. Well, let me me broaden that for just a second, though, because, uh, you know, depending, again, on who you look at, Islam is not necessarily, and 
this is ask a Muslim anything, right? Okay, so right, don't be offended sure. by the yeah, questions. Yeah, no. But it's not just a religion, but also a legal system, Sharia, and a and a government system. So it's sort of like a three stool, a three legged stool that intertwines religion, government, and jurisprudence. Is that is that uh, an accurate? Rep- and there's more to uh, Islam than just the Quran. I understand that there are. I don't know what the names are, but at least two other major sort of um, uh, Quran-like books that address various aspects of the religion as a way of life, as a way of government, as a way of laws, and as a religion. Uh, why don't you address it in that well, context? In the sense that all scripture is that, right? We have Torah, which is the law, and it's and guidance. And what was it? Rabbi Hillel in the first century said that Torah is um, do no harm to you, to others that they may not do any harm to you. Mm-hmm. All, that is Torah. All the rest is commentary. We find the same traditions in Christianity in the Great Commandments about serving God and serving mankind and for the least of you. And and, and we find the same thing. We find the same thing in the Quran. We find that in in our scriptures, how people choose to interpret it, whether in Judaism or Christianity or Islam, is quite something else. But I want to go. I want to go to something which you refer to called Sharia. Mm-hmm. Sharia, and it is a really misunderstood. And you know, I'm going to I'm going to try and structure this. I reject the phrase Sharia law. I, there's Sharia and there's law. Sharia are those aspirational aspects of mankind, expected of mankind, that are enunciated in the Quran. Uh, Sharia talks about liberty and justice and freedom and equality. It talks about hospitality. It talks. Sharia is the declaration of in, is equivalent to the American Declaration of Independence. Sharia is not a book. There are only six laws in the Quran for which a a penalty is prescribed. Fiqh, F-I-Q-H, for all of the people out there taking notes, is Islamic jurisprudence. It's separate. Okay. It's like our constitution, and it's evolved over time by people, humans who are fallible, choosing to interpret what the aspirations are for ancient days, modern days, and often those things are interpreted specifically for a particular event or a particular time. So you get in in fiqh, but not in sharia, opinions that are divergent as Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Antonin Scalia, looking at the same scripture and coming to a different conclusion about it. And that varies by tradition, it varies by culture, it varies by geography, and it varies by place. What about now, what about what about Muslim communities though? And there have been some evidence of this in the country uh, that ex- that demand to go to what are reported as Sharia courts rather than be subject to secular courts here in the United States or in Britain, where they have you know developed an entire system now of Sharia courts. Well, Why actually that's not true. What what they're talking about, and actually the largest opponents to the banning of what they call Sharia law in this country are in fact the Jewish communities. What they're talking about is what Muslims, first of all, if if you're at all conversant, I'm talking in general, not you specifically, if one is conversant with the Constitution, we have something called the Supremacy Clause, and you can't make any laws that supersede the U.S. Constitution. Right. That's it, not Constitution. There are places, and Texas is one of the places, where communities want to be able to do arbitration before it goes to court. Jewish communities do that all the time. And so, so if, for example, if a couple is married in Iraq and they're having trouble in their marriage or in inheritance or whatever it is, they want to be able to t- talk to their imam or to somebody as arbitration. We have arbitration courts all the time. If that doesn't satisfy them, they can take it to civil court. No one is ever proposing, even in England, it's arbitration that is separate from from civil court. And it's it's a process where people try to engage the religious uh, authorities, and and if it works, fine. You cannot get a get you know, if if a Jewish couple, a woman cannot get a get a divorce, 
you know, she's stuck in a, in a, in a Jewish, um, you know, what did it call a legal procedure. You know, every community has those kinds of things. We have annulments in the Catholic Church. You know, who gets an annulment and who doesn't get an annulment? Those things are outside of civil outside of civil law. What about honor killings? Wasn't there a fellow in Phoenix, I think, who claimed the the right to kill his daughter under uh, the man should religious? be in, the man should be in jail. So you killing me, honor but, killings is not part of Islam. Honor killings may be part of certain traditions okay. that predate Islam, and they're not exclusively Islam. There are places in Africa. There are places in South America, as we know. So well, why 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 is it so? Why are these things? so associated with Islam if, you, if they're just not so? Because after 9-11, when we were attacked by an enemy we didn't know, who spoke a language no one understood, who followed a religion that no one had any knowledge of, we became very fearful. Both communities became fearful. The Muslim be- community became fearful and withdrawn, and the non-Muslim community wanted to know who these people were. And they were a lot – I mean it took people like me who were doing a lot of interfaith work, you know, four or five years to, you know, put things back on some kind of solid basis where people are talking to each other. Then we go to 2007, 2008 where this uppity black man had the nerve to say he wanted to be president. And the people opposed to him – couldn't use all the words that they used to use for black man in this country. So they started calling him foreign and Kenyan and Muslim, and Muslim became the code word for the other. I actually believe that when we talk about Muslims now in this country, we're not talking just about people who follow the Islamic faith. We're talking about people who are non-white, who are part of the immigrant community, who are part of of the non-Christian community in this country. And I I, I think it became a demonization where people, I mean, until Orlando, for example, there were more killings in this country by white supremacists than there were by Muslims. Orlando's flipped flipped it over. What is your basis for saying that? Uh, Pew, um, various um, polls, not polls, but research. You can go to Polyfax. It's out there. You have you have researchers. You can check it. Yeah, well, I have me as a researcher, but you know, there's yeah. been a there's been a you know, funny that you mentioned that because it was just a, 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 a series of pictures with people who were made these claims that uh, uh, mass shootings are a white man's problem, and they posted. Uh, you know, pictures of all of these people that have been involved in mass shootings over whatever last period of time. And clearly it's not a white man's uh, problem and clearly it's not a white supremacy issue. Um, But I don't know what you, so I'm not, I'm not, how do I put this? I'm I'm just not going to go down that road. Let's Let's not go down that road. By by the way, if you'd like to get a call, we're with, we're with Robert Ozzy. He is a Manchester Muslim, a convert to the faith. He does a, uh, a talk called Ask a Muslim Anything. If you'd like to ask this Muslim anything, 606-6762 is our number. That's 606-6762. So, you know, the idea that white supremacists are out there massacring uh, people on a daily basis is about, to me, as false as uh, white police officers are, wake up every day looking to shoot black Americans. I think it's a bunch of uh, – there are no statistics to support what was a- just said. Af- after Orlando, first of all the- – well, let's take a look at what happened before Orlando. I mean, we've get, we had San Bernardino, we had Boston, we had Fort Hood, we had um, uh, Memphis, we had Seattle, we had Minnesota. I mean, we had any number of um, uh, uh, shootings or stabbings or attacks by Muslims on American here. And every single and, and in every now you say that there has been. I'm willing to you know okay. get that website, but. You know, the, 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 the silence of the Muslim community in the face. In fact, you have groups like CARE, you know, controlling the media coverage and organizing the press re- uh, conferences out in San Bernardino. Uh, you, you know, just really all of this stuff that's taking place. And meanwhile, uh, in a in a country whose media is desperate to um, hold off reporting any facts that the that the act of terror is somehow inspired by radical uh, Islamists. Uh, I, I just find it hard to believe that the American media is is covering up all these condemnations because it doesn't want that word to get out. Rich, that's absurd. The, the media, 
I mean, just read the media. They are not out there trying to cover. Oh, I have my issues the, with the media. Yeah, yeah. We, we all have our issues with the media. And in fact, I would say to people like Care, I think they can. I think they condemn terrorism to to condemn every act of terrorism preemptively is to suggest that somehow every act of terrorism committed by a Muslim is somehow connected to the religion. Well, isn't it connected to the religion to the degree that the people who commit it say it's committed to the religion? What is jihad anyway? Is it or is it not part of the Koran? There are two kinds of jihad, if you'll permit me. I will. All right. There's what's called the greater jihad and the lesser jihad. The greater jihad is, and, and how do I say this? The greater jihad is this, the struggle to identify and work with the goodness that is within all of us. It's the inner struggle. It's the thing that all, all of mankind is called, called upon for goodness. So you're saying it's a self-improvement plan. Well, it's, it's like a self-improvement plan. It, it's like God – we have something – we believe that something – there's something in every man called fitra. It, the English word for it would be soul. We believe that every human being is endowed with fitra and that it's their parents that make them Muslim or Christian or Jewish or Hindu or Buddhist and that you can't destroy fitra or get rid of fitra. You can lose contact with it and, and jihad is a struggle – to be in touch with your innate goodness and to do goodness for your fellow man. And by doing goodness for you, with your fellow man, you're serving God. The lesser jihad, and it's, it's specific in, in, in the Quran, the lesser jihad is the struggle to protect the Muslim community and to protect the Muslim community, violence is permitted to the extent that violence is visited upon you. It is not a preemptive force. It's not a global force. People talk about a global violent jihad, have no basis in Islam or in politics or in, or in history. Jihad is both a sacred duty and, and, a, and a responsibility. And for people... I guess my problem, you know, we can, if we talk about media, we can talk about one thing. We talked, for example, there was this big thing, the media are covering it up because they don't want, and President Obama doesn't want to use the word radical Islamic terrorism. And Donald Trump and others were getting great cheers by saying radical Islamic terrorism. But if the people committing the acts of terror call themselves Muslims and say they're doing it for Islam, don't you you take them at their word? if, If you say to me... That was committed by a radicalized Muslim. I'll totally agree with you. If you say to me that was done by a radical jihadist, I would probably agree with you because he's created his own definition of jihad. But to say that radical Islamic terrorism it comes out of these acts is like saying that Robert Deere in Colorado Springs or uh, Dylan Roof at Mother Emanuel Church is an act of radical Christian terrorism. And we know, because we understand Christianity, that Christianity is not a terrorist ideology. And to apply a definition, because someone may may or may not self-identify as a religious person, and to wash 1.6 million people with 1.6 billion people with that, that identity is both wrong and counterproductive Be- okay um I'm, I'm getting this from a listener in manchester who says the quran is incomplete without the hadith and the sirah and there are four types of jihad heart tongue hand and sword so what is the hadith and the sirah and what about these four types of jihad the, the the hadith are were a a body of um, sayings of the prophet that were compiled basically after the prophet's death, um, and they're often used as guidance for how a particular revelation in the Quran should be performed. For example, if the Quran would say to pray, but it's not clear on how you pray than how the Prophet Muhammad prayed, um, as described in the Hadith, um, 
w- would be considered Im- important. Now, the range of hadith goes from the reliable or very reliable to the very unreliable. And there's a whole body there, and people sort of cherry-pick those things that they want. But we're told even even by the Prophet that if you find a hadith that contradicts the Quran, go with the Quran. That, you know, the, these were compiled over centuries. The seerah is the, is the life of the Prophet. And we are informed by the life of the Prophet, but we also know that history from the 7th century is both incomplete and, what's the word I want it? Unreliable? (laughs) In some ways, unreliable. I mean, when you wrote history of important figures in those days, one one tended to sort of elevate certain aspects depending on on your particular bias. So I say, yes, there's Hadith. Yes, there's the Sirah. Yes, there's 1,400 years of Islamic jurisprudence, but we need always to look back and see both from the model of the prophet. For example, somebody says, well, Muslims are allowed to beat their wives. Well, I, I look to the example to see if the prophet Muhammad ever beat his wife. I look to the example of how the, how the words are translated in the um, in the Quran, I also look to the example, and I think it's important. And I think more Muslims are doing it, and this is a burden, a, 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 something that burdened both Christianity and Judaism for 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 centuries, which is the issue of patriarchy. That um, men like to control women, and they like to use um, scripture. To, to do it, and and for, as long as men were controlling how scripture was interpreted, and how scripture was meant to be, um, then there was no difference. The woman earlier asked about uh, female genital mutilation. Um, it's a barbaric practice. It came into countries. Um, it came into Islam through the countries that Islam had spread to. It wasn't something that Islam took with them, um, and and it. And there are countries that are struggling to get rid of it. It's, you know, it happened in Michigan. That, you know, the doctors that were doing it there should be in jail for life for what right. the mutilation of these people. But it's interesting. In Kenya, they recently passed a law outlaw, outlawing FGM. Mm-hmm. The first That's group, female genital the, mutilation. Right, the first group to challenge it were the Maasai. I don't Not know for, who that is. The Maasai are a tribe there, you know, where there is a lot of um, female authority, and it's there's no religious basis to it. But they're saying if we're not allowed to cut our woman, then a woman has not reached maturity. So we constantly struggle, and we must also we, we have to be humble because we have to. You know, you talked about a three-legged stool before. The Episcopalians have a three-legged stool that I like a lot. It's a balance of reason, scripture, and tradition. And we need to look at how to keep those things in balance because if we become only dependent on tr- Scripture, only dependent on religion or tradition, we, we get out of basis. We have Jen in Manchester on the line. Good morning, Jen. Hey, good morning. I have a question. Um, <clears throat> good morning, Jen. I think in order— Good morning. Um, in order to really understand a religion, you really have to look at its founder. So the founder of Islam is Muhammad. My understanding is that Muhammad was two very different people when he was in Mecca than when he was in Medina. In Mecca, he was very ineffective and didn't um, persuade anybody to his cause. But when he went to Medina, and I could be getting the cities mixed up, so forgive me, um, he started converting people through submission and force and um, very different out. out Put in in goal, and um, that was very effective for him. So I'd like you to address that. Also, I'd like you to address the fact that his youngest wife was nine years old. So I'll hang up, and I will listen to your answer. Thank you for the Mecca call, and Medina, and um, and his youngest and, wife, his wife. Thank I- you, his wife Aisha. Thank you for the call. Thank, all right, thank thank you, Jen. First of all, he. 
he didn't found Islam. Islam was revealed to the Prophet Muhammad uh, through, through God, through the revelations through the angel Gabriel. And he was the interlocutor, if you would, between mankind and God to, for the revelation of that scripture. Secondly, he wasn't ineffective in Medina. In fact, the reason he, as, excuse me, in Mecca, he wasn't ineffective in Mecca. In fact, the reason he had to go to Medina, he and his growing uh, group of, of Muslims, was they were under the death threats from the Quraysh tribe in Mecca because they felt that this um, theology of monotheism was a threat to the economic uh, stability of Mecca, which was built on polytheism. And they were offered sanctuary in uh, Medina, where the, where the community grew. Now, there's an argument made by, again, I would say, the sort of 5% to the far right of Islam called... Uh, ISIS, and 5% of our far right called Islamophobes, and they like to uh, say, well, the Mecca verses are abrogated by the Medina verses, and it becomes more violent because those verses are violent. In fact, those vi- the verses in Medina were um, re- revealed to all of mankind. The verses in Mecca were revealed to help form a community. There were more issues about how about justice and law and formation of a constitution and how to protect it. And in times of warfare, how how do you resist uh, the threat and annihilation of your community? There's no abrogation in Islam. There are two verses that refer to abrogation, and they refer to the earliest scriptures of Christianity and Judaism. As for the issue of um, the Prophet Muhammad being married at age six and consummating that marriage at age nine, I'm not going to go into the academic work that's being done that questions whether or not she was as young as nine, but let's assume that she was nine at the time. And at a, at a time when the um, life expectancy was probably around 40 in the um, Arabian Peninsula, Child marriages were probably not totally uncommon. We we find it by our twenty first century perspective rather rather repugnant and and horrible, um, and I think that that's that's a normal sort of twenty first century reaction. On the other hand, child marriages in China, in Europe, uh, in other parts of the world in the seventh, eighth, and ninth century were not unknown. And I remind us as as we you know we have need, need to be a little bit careful of our arrogance that we're talking about the marriage of a possible nine-year-old 1,400 years ago, and here in New Hampshire, we were unable to pass a law to protect 13-year-old girls from getting married. I, uh, in the about three minutes we have left, um, <laughs> it's gone that quickly. It has. There are a number, a number of things, I, you know, as, as a Catholic, I kind of want to go down the road and say, why would Gabriel appear to Mohammed to start another religion after Gabriel appeared to Mary to start Catholicism or Christianity with Jesus being the son of God? I don't have time but, to go but, down that. But, but actually, I, I just wanted to, I know we're running out of time, but I love the beauty and the symmetry of it. I love, I love the fact that the angel Gabriel was actually the agent of spreading the word that Mary would be receiving the sacred presence, Jesus, and Angel Gabriel was also mm-hmm. the, the agent of, of the uh, sacred word of, of the Quran. I, mm-hmm. I, I love the symmetry. Well, and some would might not call it symmetry, but some would might, uh, I don't want to say call it chicanery, but the upshot is, is why would God want to start a separate religion after he gave the world his son? Well, well if, you want, if you want to do that, then you could say, if I'm a Jew, why should I expect that he's your son. And yeah, many Jews yeah, do. Yeah, okay, so there right, we go. exactly. So, um, And I'm getting this on the child marriage thing, saying it didn't happen in the Bible, which was 600 years before the Quran. Okay, um, I don't have... The, I'm getting bombed with stuff on screens here, but I do want to ask you generally about uh, Can I? Islam's treatment of women. Okay. Uh, and Because, A, for example, in the... Uh, and the report that we've brought up here mm-hmm. that Dave Gobatz did, one of the things that he said was a red flag was the fact that the women are not allowed to pray with the men. They have to be 
behind them or whatever the arrangement is. And gee, it was big news the other day. Saudi Arabia will now allow women who must be clad from head to toe in garb that does not reveal anything other than their eyes, Mm -hmm. um, the right to drive. I, I think we can all take a look at what maybe even is considered mainstream Islam and say that it, uh, uh, it, it, uh, uh, brings new meaning to the term second class status when it comes to well, women. Are we right? Are we wrong? I would. I would You've not. Two I would. I would not be. I would not be so quick to call. Um, although they may want to call it mainstream Islam, uh, Saudi Arabia and and the prohibition on driving has nothing to do with Islam at all, and it's just an extension. But what about the the clothing? Okay. Okay. And, and they well, know the, right. the His, rules on rape l- and everything else. L- l- let me tell you how I feel about the clothing. I think that if a woman wants to be covered, and I reject the veil at all, but let's say, let's say she wants, wants to be to covered, be. wants to be covered, and as sort of an expression of her covenant with God, mm-hmm. then we should accept that the same way we'd expect ex- accept a nun um, to go, you know, who wanted to join the orders. Mm-hmm. If a woman, and this this is my feeling, um, if a woman is forced to cover by her husband, her family, her country, or her region then I find that illegitimate because there is, is a verse in the Quran that says there should be no compulsion in religion. And if somebody is forced to commit a reli- so-called religious act by compulsion, then it's an illegitimate act. And I don't ex- accept that hijab worn under compulsion is in service to God or to Islam or to anything, well, it, it or to anything most, else. Most Islamic, most Muslim women are are required to by the faith or otherwise compelled, well, and not, it's not a free the, a free will the, choice. They're, they're they're generally compelled by their husbands and their families and their countries rather than by by their choice. I I would remind you that the only uh, woman only mosque in this country. In, in in the world is in this country in California. There are places in the, in New York and Washington where women and, and men pray together. Mm-hmm. There are places where they pray behind. There are pl- places where they pray alongside. Places where and I object where they pray in a separate room. Again, I remind you in traditional and conservative and orthodox synagogues. You have the same kind of separation. And Robert, we are yeah. actually at the top of the hour. I would love to continue this. Perhaps you'll come back for more. Sure. All right. That's sure. Robert Ozzie. Uh, ask a Muslim. You have contact information. It's got to be really quick because I'm actually beyond 9 o'clock. I'll be at the Manchester City Library on Thursday night at 630 for Ask a Muslim Anything and bring your questions that you didn't get on the air today. All right. That's Robert Ozzie. We'll have him back, folks. We appreciate your being with us. Your calls. Notice they all came from women. Uh, We don't have time to even sign off. Josh at the station ID. We'll be back tomorrow with another busy show. Stay with us.